What's up, guys? This is Kelly, and welcome to the Ringer Podcast Network. Make sure to check out the latest addition to the Ringer lineup, Music Exists. Each week, Chris Ryan and Chuck Klosterman ask and answer questions about their love of music while exploring the role of concerts, locations, fandom, criticism, genre, lyrics, and much, much more. You can listen to new episodes of Music Exists and follow along every week for free on Spotify. Cowboys and Indians anymore, Bernard. I want their world. The world they've denied us. Welcome to the Recapables Westworld part of the Ringer Podcast Network. I am your host, David Shoemaker. Today, we are recapping season two of Westworld in preparation for season three, which is coming this very Sunday, immediately after the East Coast airing of which our first regular recap episode, reaction episode, will drop on this here very feed. I am joined for my laboratory debriefing this week by the one and only Danny Heifetz. How you doing, Danny? I am fan flipping tastic. How are you doing? I am completely confused. I thought I understood everything about season two, and then I uh, wrote down a recap of season two. And um, let's just say my dry erase board uh, looks like the ramblings of a crazy person. But before I get to that, Danny, what's your tweet length review of Westworld season two? The last analog TV show in a digital world. Wow, that's pretty good. Well, that's what you think this show is about. Now, here's. Everything, and I mean everything, that happened in Westworld Season 2. Analysis. Who's in the mood for a nice day at the beach? I am, and so is Bernard, who wakes up in the peaceful lapping of the waves in the aftermath of Dolores' killing spree on the Delo- at the Delos Gala at the end of Season 1. Carl Strand, the dude in charge of Delos Security, has arrived at Westworld with the goal of exterminating the rogue hosts and figuring out what the hell happened. Good luck. His plan A is ask Bernard what he remembers. No luck there. Plan B? Get Costa to carve open the head of a dead host and push play. And well, look, there's Dolores saying, I told you, friend, not all of us would make it to the Valley Beyond. And he, then she shot the poor sap in the head. See, it turns out that after she shot Ford, Dolores was finally freed of her storyline shackles, we think, and was done being the simple farm girl and done being Wyatt and is ready to finally be herself, who was apparently a cold-blooded human killer. With trusty Teddy and mean girl Angela at her side, Dolores starts hunting party guests, and even though Teddy is skeptical of the plan, Dolores is confident that just like my mom always told me, violence is always the answer. So she tells Teddy that he's a host and recruits the Confederados to help reach the Valley Beyond, which is a place, a weapon, a metaphor, all of the above? Let's find out. On their way to said valley, they run across Maeve, who's searching for her long-lost daughter, and is headed in the opposite direction, literally and figuratively, with Hector and Sizemore. And if you think the two most self-aware badass hosts are going to be best buds, well, you have another thing coming. It's a standoff at the AI Corral as the two crews stare down, but finally Dolores lets Maeve and co. pass in the name of host liberty. Let's jump back to right after the massacre, where Charlotte Hale and Bernard, who's still posing as a human, by the way, escape with some folks into a barn and later make their way to an underground bunker that has drone hosts. And Bernard asks, are we really logging the records of guest experiences and their DNA? Uh, yeah, dude, try to keep up. 
Charlotte tries to get Dulles to send help, but they won't because they have, haven't received their package, a.k.a. Peter Abernathy, who's loaded with all of that data. Bernard logs into the Mesh Network to ask the host where Abernathy is. Meanwhile, in the future, or present, I don't know, Strand and Stubbs and Bernard go to Sweetwater, find a bunch of bodies, including Dr. Ford's, and later they find a dead, holy shit, that's a host tiger, which is of the genus MacGuffinus tigris tigris, I believe. Then they find all the missing hosts, including Teddy, by the way, finally floating in, dead in a giant lagoon that's not even supposed to be there, and Bernard is like, I killed them, all of them. Anyway, back to two weeks ago, Charlotte and Bernard find Peter Abernathy, but their success is fleeting, as the Confederados find them and capture Bernard and Abernathy, and Charlotte escapes and hooks up with some Dulles security folks. Then the Confederados bring Bernard and Abernathy to Dolores, who reunites with her dad and makes Bernard figure out what's wrong with poor Papa. It can be overwhelming when the people who've helped you their whole life now need your help, as the philosopher Joan London once said. The Delos army comes to take Abernathy back, and it's time for the Battle of Fort Forlorn Hope. And apropos of the name, it's a losing fight for the Confederados. But this whole thing was a trap set by Dolores, who sets off a bunch of nitroglycerin and basically explodes everybody. They make it out, but they lose Papa Abernathy and Bernard, who's abducted by Clementine? Whatever. Dolores is disappointed in Teddy's lack of bloodthirstiness, so she reprograms him to make him more bloodthirsty than ever. Uh, even eventually Teddy can't take it. So he has sex with Dolores and then he kills himself. That's down the road. Elsewhere, William, AKA the man in black finds out from young host Ford that there's a new game just for him. And he finally gets to play the hero. So he saves Lawrence town from the Confederados. And then he runs into a woman who looks familiar to him. And she should, because she's his daughter, Emily, who's been hanging out in Raj world and was there when the whole thing went to shit and escaped and got captured by the ghost nation tribe and then escaped again. Uh, William and his daughter talk about the fact that William's wife killed herself because she found out what he was doing in Westworld. Then William ditches his daughter while she's sleeping. In his defense, he's going crazy, and he thinks she's a host. Meanwhile, Maeve and company are attacked by Ghost Nation, who say they can pass if they leave Sizemore, and even though Maeve can mind control other hosts, it doesn't work on a catch to end company. So, they escape in an elevator, reunite with Armistice Felix and Sylvester, and they come back above ground to get attacked by a goddamn samurai. Welcome to fucking Shogun World! It's like Westworld, but more extreme! Maeve meets her geisha doppelganger Akane, and they get into this whole thing with a local Shogun who kidnaps Akane's daughter figure, Sakura. Maeve's team then goes to get her back, and she uses the force, she uses the force to kill a bunch of samurais, and the Shogun kills Sakura, and then Akane fucking decapitates the Shogun, and they escape and invite their new Shogun friends into the real world, but they decide to stay. Is it offensive to say sayonara here? I don't care. Anyway, back to the real Westworld, where Maeve finally finds her daughter, but twist, she's moved on to a new mom. Ghost Nation attack again, and then the man in black shows up, and then Dell's security comes and shoots Maeve, and Ghost Nation rides off with Maeve's daughter, and Akechta tells her this whole sad story of his true love for Koana, and how he's not attacking ghosts, he's trying to save them and lead them to the valley beyond. Maeve ends up convalescing in the Mesa, where it looks like she's in a coma, but really she's in the Mesh Network repro reprogramming hosts. And she was in her daughter's head all along, and Akechta was talking to Maeve. When they finally leave the Mesa... Maeve and her crew head to the valley beyond, and along the way, our buddy Sizemore gives up his life for his new robot friends. Meanwhile, William slowly begins to go insane. He shoots his daughter Emily, believing that she's a host sent by Ford, and only then she, does he realize that she's human, and he's like, wait, am I even human? And he cuts open his arm, and I guess we'll never know. Oh, wait, we will. In a post-show flash forward, we see Emily, or host Emily, or somebody, testing William for fidelity, so he's a host after all. Bernard woke up after Clementine abducted him 
at a cave where Elsie is chained up, and Bernardo's the one who chained her there, which is awkward. They find another hidden bunker, more drone hosts, and a James Delos drone. Flashback time, young William and James try to use this Westworld tech to keep James alive forever by putting his consciousness in a body, or a host body. Uh, they tried over and over again to find this fidelity, but it never worked, and William axed the project. Okay, oh shit, there were more flashbacks too. There was um, uh, Arnold and Ford prepping Dolores for a debutante ball out in the real world. This is a long time ago. There was a catch to and Angela making uh, the Westworld sales pitch to Logan, and later there was uh, James Delos and William talking about the value of the data in the park. There was also Dolores talking to Arnold again, but that might actually be a flashback. It might be a flash forward to Dolores talking to Bernard, which, okay, cool. We'll figure that out later. So Bernard plugs himself into the Matrix, goes into the Techno Sweetwater, and who's waiting for him there but Dr. Robert Ford himself. And he reveals that Westworld was always a tech play for immortality. And then he takes over Bernard's mind. And we go back to the Mesa for the big finish. Okay, here we go. Charlotte and Stubbs and Carl Strand are all in the Mesa. It's all coming together now. And they realize Bernard is a host and they interrogate him. Angela suicide bombs the cradle where all the customer's data is kept. And then Bernard and Dolores find the forge, which is like the cradle, but better. Bernard opens up the door to the valley beyond. And a catch to Maeve's daughter and a bunch of other people escape into it as Maeve and her crew sacrifice themselves, holding off the Delos army. Then the bodies really start hitting the perverse floor. The first timeline culminates with Bernard and Dolores having a disagreement about the nature of humanity, so Bernard shoots Dolores. Then Elsie betrays Bernard, just like Ford told him she would. And then Charlotte kills Elsie. Bernard regrets killing Dolores and puts her consciousness back into a new host body, but it's a Charlotte host body. And then she kills the real Charlotte. Charlotte was Dolores all along, if by all along you mean in the present most timeline of this season. Anyway, back to now. Uh, Charloris kills Strand and Bernard and transfers his, the host minds into a satellite or something. And then she goes to the beach and heads off into the real world on a rescue boat with a bunch of host brains in her bag. Woo! The end. Why does everyone think this show is so complicated? <laughs> that was really easy to follow. I don't get what anyone's confused Did you get about. everything? Yeah, no, I think that was super easy. I think we can just wrap the pod. All right, well, let's get out of here. Um, okay, so that was incredibly confusing obviously there's a lot going on uh i take full responsibility but uh before we get too much into the phil the philosophical side of this before we even get into like the you know storyline side of this let's just take a minute to go over in some detail what just happened at the end of season two um it ends we know this for sure with charlotte and the body sorry with dolores and the body of charlotte leaving uh, Westworld and going out into real world with all of these host brains in her bag. Now, uh, let's backtrack a little bit from there. The the end. Okay, so we have two timelines in the show, right? There's the one that kind of starts with uh, immediately after the massacre at at the at the Delos Gala, and then there's the sort of fast forward timeline with Carl Strand and Bernard on the beach and blah blah blah. Now, the first timeline as it winds through the show, you got to correct me if I'm wrong. It sort of culminates here in the forge with Bernard and Dolores, right? Yes. So the first timeline ends with Dolores and Bernard are in the forge. The forge is where they keep those 4 million human copies of minds that theoretically could be put in host bodies and live forever. Dolores wants to kill them because she thinks humanity is a plague. Right. Bernard wants to keep them alive because he's a little more chill and isn't sure about the mass murder. That's fine. Okay. Bernard realizes he can't reconcile this difference and he shoots Dolores dead because he doesn't think they're going to get over and find a middle ground here. So he just so, he just shoots her. Shoots her in the face and is going to go on about the rest of his day. All right. But he is then betrayed by Elsie at the Mesa, and then Elsie is murdered by Charlotte. Real, so the real Charlotte. Real Charlotte. This okay. is the end of timeline one. 
real Charlotte shoots real Elsie. And okay. then Bernard is so traumatized by this. He realizes that Ford was right, that he should not have trusted Elsie. He realizes that human. He, he shouldn't trust a human in general. Don't trust people in general, which right. not bad advice. Also realizes that Dolores was right. Should have deleted those four million copies. So he prays. He basically prays for Ford to come back. Ford comes back into his mind. Doesn't really come back. He's, illu- he's It's an illusion, but whatever. He imagines that Ford comes back and tells him what to do. He Ford instructs him. It's actually Bernard's voice. He's listening to the whole time to rebuild a copy of Charlotte's body and to make up for his mistake of killing Dolores. He gives Dolores a second chance and puts Dolores's mind into the copy of Charlotte's body. Dolores comes back as Charlotte. We can call her Charlores and then kills right. the real Charlotte Hale and takes her place. And then Bernard to cover his tracks scrambles all of his memories so nobody can open up his head and see what he did. And, and then that's why the, the, that's why as the show ends. when as season two, episode one begins, that's why Bernard is is yes. doesn't know anything about He's what just happened. Confused because he scrambled his memories to cover up what he did in timeline one. What he did in timeline one was stop Dolores from killing the four million human copies. And then he undoes the decision. He undoes it so that he Charloris can kill those four million human copies. Then okay. in timeline, well, is that good? Is that clear? We, we can yeah, linger I, on this. I think this I have that. No, no, no. I think I have that much down. All right. What happens next? Timeline two is Carl Strand, the big, tall, bad dude and all his henchmen. And then eventually Charlotte, who is, we don't know this, but later we know is Dolores in Charlotte's body, wandering around with Bernard as he's really confused. And they're like, where's Peter Abernathy's thing? Because Peter Abernathy's brain was just like the skeleton key to right. get into the forge. It doesn't matter. It ends at the same place. Timeline 2 it goes to the same place with them standing over Dolores' dead body. It's Bernard. It's Charlotte. It's Strand standing over his dead body. But nobody knows that Dolores is in Charlotte's body. Right. She pulls a gun. She kills all the people. Deletes the human copies in the forge. But unlike the first time, the other disagreement they had in the first timeline was that the human copies are there, but she also could beam. She could also decide what to do with all the host minds that are in the Valley beyond, which right. is like all the host minds, the door when they all ran through that into that utopia thing, they were uploaded to like the cloud. It's like the Amazon cloud server where it, you know, you can run around on the windows desktop free. No, no people are going to come kill you. It's like a perfect garden of Eden. They can all live in forever. Happy. The first time around, Dolores wanted to delete that, too, because any world created by people is not the real world. That's also why Bernard shot her. Right. This time, when he brought her back as Charlotte, Dolores changed her mind. She's going to let the host live in that utopia. She beams them up to some satellite where they'll never be found. I don't know how that works, but they'll never be found, apparently. And then deletes the human copies. So the humans are dead. Hosts are alive, and they got raptured. And Bernard, and then she shoots Bernard dead. That's how that goes in the forge the second time. Right. But okay. she sneaks off. Wait, this is Kate. Well, that, that's then she sneaks off the mainland, goes to the mainland, and then goes to Arnold's house and rebuilds Bernard in Arnold's house. And that's the third timeline is her retraining Bernard. Because she knows, well, she's familiar with Arnold's house from her memory, I guess. But also Arnold's house has a host building apparatus. Yes. So in a nutshell... <laughs> Where we are entering season was that, three. Was that not already the nutshell? Okay, go no, on. The nutshell entering season three. What happened in the finale was Bernard killed Dolores and then felt bad and brought her back and resurrected her. As, as Charlotte. Charlotte. Dolores then 
killed Bernard, felt bad, and then resurrected him. And now in they're the chilling at Arnold's house in the real world. Okay, but a couple, yeah, wait, can I, so a couple of stupid on. questions along the way. One, please. Did, did okay in timeline one, real Charlotte uh, was being rege- uh, he, she was asking Dulles to come in and, and save them, but they were saying no because you haven't given us Peter Abernathy yet. Why did they eventually show up? They showed up because they found Peter Abernathy's control unit. Oh, so they did get all that stuff. Well, no, they but they lost it. It's a whole thing. Okay. I think they showed up to to find it because they needed help. They needed to find Peter Abernathy's control unit. And then, okay, and then the entire time, I know the answer to this, but just to be really clear, in all of the most most present tense storyline, everything with Carl Strand, the, the Charlotte in that timeline is actually Dolores in Charlotte's body. Yes. <laughs> okay. Well. It's actually uh, a little more confusing than that because entering season three, there is a copy of Charlotte, but it's Dolores isn't in that. Dolores is back in her own body and Bernard is in his body, but she, Dolores brought a bunch of hard drives with her of other characters that can be right. put in a body. We don't know who's in Charlotte's body right now. So I know that this is a crazy and arcane and really weird and complicated thing. But entering season three, the nuts and bolts, what you need to know, Dolores and Dolores's body, Bernard is in Bernard's body. And there's someone we don't know who in Charlotte's body. And she can probably bring back a few more characters. And it's safe to say that's not Charlotte in Charlotte's body because Charlotte no. would have been amongst the deleted files. Exactly. All right. That's we're simple, gonna, right? We're going to come back to the timeline stuff later on. But first, I want to talk a little bit about the big idea of Westworld season two and what we're saying, what we're calling it. There's a lot of ideas of immortality, of, of you know, what, what life really means, what existence really means, but we're calling it escaping death. Uh, I think it has a little bit more of a, an action movie vibe to it that way. So let's get into it. Do you know where you are? There's a lot of different aspects to this, but Dolores' big quest is for the Valley Beyond, um, which to her is a weapon. Um, But the Valley Beyond is also a term that Akechta and the Ghost Nation tribe use for this sort of concept of escaping from the trap, the the confines of Westworld into a sort of state of immortality. Is that right? All right. Let's just address the Valley Beyond off the top because we just have to talk about this. What is the Valley Beyond? What is the door? What is all that crap from the second season? It's just, it's figuratively, it's like a utopia. It's a digital utopia. Akichita, who is the Native American ghost nation guy that was haunting Maeve's dreams, turns out he's a great guy. And uh, he, he basically realized that we're in the wrong world. And very poignant, very thought. Uh, and he realizes that the Valley Beyond is a utopia. It's practically what it is. It's a, it's a cloud server. It's, it's like giant Amazon cloud, and you can go live, and the host minds can live in this digital cloud server. And to them, it's basically the version of Westworld's untouched by blood. They can't get hurt there. It's like a perfect world where humans can't hurt them. Mm-hmm. So it's like a rapture, like utopia, a back to the Garden of Eden. Right. It's, it's a perfect safe space for the hosts. That is the essence of their quest every time they're like, not everyone deserves to make it to the Valley Beyond. The Valley Beyond is as long as you happiness. S- okay, since you brought it up, and since we're going to be talking in circles this whole time, I don't feel particularly compelled to stick to, stick to sort of uh, any kind of outline. Is it safe to say that Akechta was, the, uh, was he the first uh, host to sort of like achieve some sort of self-awareness on his own through his journey of love and loss? Yes. So, I mean, Akechita, who's, again, the, Episode eight 
Kiksuya, which is the episode where they kind of bottle episode, it's, almost it's, like it's yeah. a lost episode. It's the closest thing to a bottle episode we have on this show, I think, so far. Yeah, it's it's an amazing rewatch. And in a nutshell, what they do is they combine the story of like Orpheus from Greek mythology, where he uh, Orpheus looks for his lover in Hades, which is the Greek underworld. And then that inspires him to look everywhere. But then the second part of his story is basically Noah's Ark. He leads everyone to the door to just on the blind hope that there'll be a door. I mean, they're literally walking to the Valley Beyond in lines of two following him. And then they basically get into the Valley Beyond and then escape the flood. Wait, if we're going to go for biblical parallels, there's probably more Moses here, right? He's he's helping the Israelites escape. And then there's the parting of the Red Sea and all that stuff. Anyway, there's a lot. There's a lot of biblical stuff going on. We can get to the biblical mashup part on a, on, on our, on our uh, late night podcast. Anyway, um, so that's like the big idea of the Valley Beyond, but that's not, is that what Dolores is talking about when she talks about the Valley Beyond? I think the big idea here, though, is the escaping death. I think that's the point. And the humans are trying, like the real big idea from this is that the humans are trying to escape death because they think that if they put their consciousness into a host body, they can live forever. That's the idea. That's what Delos, the company, is working on. That's what Westworld was about the whole time, it turns out, is that the park was just a, a test chamber, a laboratory, so humans could be testing whether they would be able to eventually put their consciousness into a host body, kind of become immortal or, or amortal, if you want to call it that, whereas it's not that you can't die, but that you know you can still get hit by a, a bus or whatever. Right, but, so that, that's what they're doing. Obviously, uh, James Delos, who we're introduced to this season, and I guess his character arc sort of runs its entire course over the, cor- uh, over the course of the season, Um he was the founder of Delos, uh, father of Logan and of William's wife. Um, he was skeptical of, of of buying Westworld because he was like, why do I want to buy Disneyland or whatever? But then William is just like, it's not Disneyland. It's like, it's the data. The data is the minds of every person who's ever been to the park, which are kept in a weird library somewhere. And in, and And he becomes sort of his own beta test right because he's dying he, he's he has some sort of terminal illness and they try to and they're and they're the first go at, at immortality is putting his mind into a james Dellos host body right exactly and it's not going well but ford lays this out pretty plainly to bernard so there is a point in the season where we see a copy of ford, like ford's mind in a digital world mm-hmm. briefly and he explains this pretty starkly to bernard and he explains that and the, quoting him now, he says, the human mind is the last analog device in a digital world. And then he explains that the business of Delos was putting their minds into host bodies because, uh, quoting Ford again, he says, they don't want you to become them. They want to become you, end quote, meaning, you know, they want to be hosts. Right. Before ho- it actually reminds me, ironically, of when Ted Sarandos, who was the chief content officer of Netflix back in the day, a few years ago, he said, the goal is for us to become HBO faster than HBO can become us. Right. And so <laughs> ironically, there's like just like the Netflix HBO thing. There's a streaming wars vibe here where it's there can only one one eternal race and it's going to be the host or the humans. So can hosts become a sentient race before humans can become an et- eternal undying race? That is what the show is about in a nutshell. It's about that war. Season two is about people picking sides on that, realizing that, and it's Dolores already knows that it's humans or hosts, and really it's about Bernard having to pick a side between humans and hosts and making a decision. 
and ultimately he does. And this season is completely, I mean, like the the facade is a literal physical war or series of battles that's going on between hosts and humans. But all that is just sort of window dressing for this more like yes. theoretical war that, that you just described. Just again, to, I, I'm going to keep getting into the weeds here and I, I don't really apologize. Going back to the Delos business model, just very briefly. They have all <laughs> of, a lot of questions. <laughs> they have all of the minds of everybody who's ever been to the park stored. Is is it your understanding that they're just keeping all these things so that they can sell them, sell immortality back to these people in the future? Like the people don't know that their minds are being stored. I think we're going to find that out in season three. But yeah, I think right now, I think the idea is that you can sell it to to rich and powerful people. The idea that, look, we've replicated your consciousness so well that we can put a copy of you back into Westworld and it would do everything you did while you were here. It's the same thing. So when you die, you can live on forever, blah, blah, blah. And give us, you know, name your price. Like those are the only, you know, there's two core human drives. One of them is to not die. Uh, and the other is just make more of me. And if you can sell one of those things, it's, you know, it's probably a great business to be in. That seems to be the main core. So when they destroyed all the human lives and Bernard's like, I killed them, I killed them all. What he means is he deleted the copies of the 4 million people who had gone to Westworld, the 4 million potential customers that also could have theoretically lived forever. Right. There was a lot of things that got destroyed and and sent in other places at the very end of the show. So uh, we we might need to break that down case by case, but let's not get out of the philosophical. You want to just- go all 4 million people, though? We just go through each one person? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Let's not get out of the philosophical realm just yet. You talked about the race between uh, the the humans and the hosts, sort of like humans trying to become hosts and hosts trying to like you know achieve humanity. Um, what what did we learn this season in terms of the concept of humanity as it pertains to hosts? I mean, the concept of free will. I mean, we we know that oh. <laughs> last season there was this sort of in season one there was this there, you know what we were left with was this idea that like. We, we felt as viewers that Dolores and Maeve had both achieved consciousness, had both achieved, but free will, we're, we're, we're being told, didn't really come into play until Maeve made that last second decision at the very end of the show to get off the train and go back and save her daughter. Dolores claims that she is finally being herself at the beginning of season two. She's no longer Dolores the farm girl. She's no longer Wyatt. She's just some like amalgamation of the two but still feels like that she's following a script to some degree. Am I, am I, am I reading too much on that? Or is this really like the human or the, the, the person Dolores? No, Dolores has free will. What the show is positing is that Dolores was the first creature ever to have free will because people don't that like the show. This is a crucial point. The show is positing that people don't have free will, that consciousness is an accidental byproduct of the humanity's brain to survive. But, all it does is we have the illusion of free will, but in reality, we're not driving the car. We are in the passenger seat. That's why the season finale of season two is called the passenger. It's because we have enough consciousness to make certain decisions, but we're not actually exercising free will. We just have enough to think we are. That's why it's called the passenger. That's why Ford tells Maeve, actually, and honestly, the only emotion Anthony Hopkins showed in the whole show was when he told Maeve he, he, that she was his favorite host. And in that same conversation, he starts the conversation by saying, I forget the name of the ancient Greek philosopher, but he said that mankind was positioned halfway between the gods and the beasts. Right. And he says, we've fallen since then because we're evil people. But Ford has a really grim view on humanity, but he's saying that you know we're in no man's land and that the 
the hosts are actually the first ones exercising free will. Dolores choosing to shoot forward is the first moment any creature made a decision of their own volition. That's what the show is. That's what the show is positing. Well, can we talk more about uh, Maeve being Dolores's favorite? I mean, Maeve being uh, Dr. Ford's favorite. I'm not saying that seems like a little like, uh, you know, like retroactive uh, actualization there. But like, we don't have really any reason to believe that. I mean, the whole show has been about Ford and well, and Bernard and then Bernard and Dolores. What does it mean for the stakes of the show that we have the self-aware host who is who is driven by love and compassion in Maeve uh she's actually Ford's favorite and then Dolores who is just you know the hammer uh she's just like the angel of death is sort of well she was our heroine in in season 1 and now she's sort of the main villain in season 2 and and despite her long-standing relationship with Ford despite their sort of very human moment at the end of season 1 he claims Maeve is his favorite. I think it means big things for season three, right? Because there's certain things we... It's, it's weird because there's certain things we know about season three already, even though we it's obvious to guess. Based on the trailer alone and just how they're promoting it, spoiler alert, like, we know Maeve is coming back. She's in the trailers. It's very prominent. Um, we already knew that because at the end of season two, she was dead, but they basically toss her to Felix and Sylvester, the technicians, and are like, you guys deal with these dead bodies. And they're like, okay, and so, all right, so obviously they're going to resurrect Maeve. But it seems that season three is going to largely be about Maeve versus Dolores. Mm -hmm. They met a couple times in this season, mostly talking very airy quotes about freedom and liberty and, like, our paths have crossed, but we're going to keep going on our own path because you can do whatever you want. I think season three is their paths colliding. And what happens when their paths collide? There's a moment from the trailer where they literally meet on a bridge. So, you know, got to get past each other. So I think that is the main driving force of season three is what you just said. But I think it is worth noting that Ford liked Maeve more. Yeah. I mean, and maybe that's because, you know, Dolores was more of the property of Arnold. I mean, in terms of like he was the he was the creative force behind her. Maybe Ford had more of a personal connection to Maeve. But yeah, I mean, it's it, we keep seeing our leads kind of toggle back and forth between hero and villain. I mean, Maeve has always sort of been on the on the baby face side but she you know like we th- we discussed in the last episode she wasn't presented at the beginning as like the main character of the show that is interesting what you just brought up that ford made mave and arnold made dolores that's an interesting note because that that is relevant have you ever questioned the nature of your reality all right we have a couple more stupid questions, probably an endless sea of stupid questions. And since I'm, you know, dealing only in metaphors now, uh, at the beginning of the show, we see all the hosts floating in the water. Teddy is amongst them, which is super confusing because Teddy is so walking around through most of that self same episode. How did all the hosts end up in the water? So the hosts ended up in the water because they were leaping to the door in the valley beyond, and they were their minds, their consciousness was like their their code was getting into the valley, like the, they were being uploaded to the cloud, but their bodies were falling down this cliff and then eventually the cliff flooded because uh, i guess waters needed to cool servers i have no idea why there was that much water so the fl- well that's another question so why why is there water that wasn't supposed to, why is there a lagoon that wasn't supposed to be there because because the uh, the what the forge was destroyed so literally it's just they destroyed the forge which apparently is flooding the whole thing i think it's just like they needed all that water to cool the servers uh it's kind of lame i'm not gonna lie like how the water gets there is lame there's no like it's a I guess you just have to imagine there's a biblical flood because I don't I, I get that you need water to cool service. I don't know if you need a literal underground lake. 
And if you did, I don't know how that would be secret to so many people. But yeah, the water just came from literally right. one, below the ground. One would think you would see the water and be like, oh, that must be the, oh, there must have been a leak in our giant underground reservoir. The rather, question, rather than where the hell did that come from? The, but other go annoying, ahead. the other annoying thing that, look, and look, if I'm just missing this, I'm fine with it. So please, someone let me know. But I have no idea how Teddy's body ended up in that lake. Because after all of this, after everything we did, Teddy kills himself very far from that spot in the end of episode nine. Dolores takes the bullet he used to kill himself. And I think she takes his breath, does not take his body, does not carry his body to that cliff. Have like, I don't think it flooded enough to reach where they ended up so far away. So even though the first episode of season two ends on Teddy's body, no clue how he ended up there. What's Teddy's Teddy's last name, by the way? Flood. Oh, and I honest to God, I think what happened is that they put him there because his last name's Flood and it made too much sense. And then by the time they wrote the end of the season, they really, it just didn't actually connect. And they just hoped no one would ask. But not doesn't really make sense how we got there. Maybe Ghost Nation is just collecting bodies in general and throwing them into the yeah, great beyond, the valley everywhere. beyond, just to, just to hope that they'll survive. I think the point, though, with these stupid questions is there are no stupid questions with the show because the show is immensely complicated and it comes back like the McRib. Doesn't make any sense. Like, there are people who have had multiple children since the last time Westworld uh, was on the air. So don't <laughs> feel had, bad if you don't I know I haven't had stuff. multiples, but I've had one. Um, okay, so the other big thing, uh, super confusing timeline thing, was all this stuff with William and James Delos, right? Um, we know by the end, let, let's, work in, uh, let's work in chronological order. We've talked about this some. So James Delos... Um, James Dulles tries to create uh, his own immortality by putting his mind into a host body after he dies. But then at the end of the show, or after he, as he is sick, or I guess it's after he dies, at the end of the show, we are confronted with the fact that William is undergoing the same kind of uh, uh, situation that he, he, I mean, this is sort of way off in the future. So do we know for sure that the man in black was a robot or was it was a host the entire, the entire show? Or we just know that he will be one in the future or what? So the first time I went through season two, I think I was much more confident that he was 100% a host. I think this time around, I think the, the, the message that I got at least was uh, a reiterate, like, because the, there's a point he digs a knife into his arm and he's trying to figure it out. And then uh, Dolores rolls up on him. I think the point is, if you can't tell, does it matter? And that's the point. That's actually the first thing he's told when he gets to Westworld, when he's a young man, mm-hmm. uh, is Angela introduced, like meets him and he's like, are you real? And she's like, if you can't tell, does it matter? I think that's the point they were trying to hammer home. And quite frankly, I think that they left it open enough for them to decide for season three. I think actually whether he's been a host every time we've seen him or he's still a human, but he'll be a host later. Cause that's definitely, there's an after credit scene, like Avengers style at the end of season two, that 100% indicates he like will become a host. Well- but, Accord, according to some half-assed internet research, that scene was actually supposed to be at a, like earlier in the episode, but it just didn't make any sense. Like people were too confused about the time. That's the thing. So I think, honest to God, I think the, the real answer is they left it open enough to decide later. I think that we will find out in season three whether he's been a host every time we've seen him as an old man, or if he just will be a human later. But I actually and Ed Harris is in season three. Yo, he's in season three. So he's wearing white in season three. So get ready for that one. He's the man in white now. He's a good guy. I think he just turns into a good guy. And I think that I I do think he is a host and realizing that he can be a different person because the weird thing about, oh, you can live forever in these things doesn't really make any sense because you're dead. This is just an algorithm recreating your consciousness. Wait, so wait, can I, can I ask this though? Like he, he kills his daughter. We're led to believe that she was a human the whole time. 
Yeah, she was definitely a human. As far as as much as anything can be definite in Westworld, he definitely killed his own daughter. So why is she doing the fidelity test on him in this future post credits? The future post credits thing is because it's probably it might be like a virtual version of it in the world. Like it might be she's in the future. Um, we don't know. I mean, there's a, this is where we get into theorizing. They but. would they would use a loved one for fidelity for a lot of different reasons that that make I guess some philosophical sense. But she, but but in that version, she is certainly a host version of herself, right? Or a hologram Nothing version certain. of herself. I, I, I really don't think that when they wrote that scene, I think they wrote it vague enough that they can retcon it later. But we're supposed to believe that she, the the human, the human daughter is the human Emily is dead. Yes. Okay. Well, I, I I don't. I, I'm gonna, I think I'm gonna it's hold you to that more... when they go back on it. All right. Um, <laughs> uh, what else do we need to What else do we need to cover with all this stuff? The, uh, we we know that the fidelity tests with with Peter Delos weren't working very well. But presumably James they figured. Delos. I mean James Delos, but they but presumably they figured the stuff out well enough at some point, right? I mean they're well, no, they didn't. That, that's the thing. as of the events of the show. I think the the point they were trying to make is that William is kind of the experiment after James Delos because the James Delos stuff failed. Um, but I think the the important the actual important thing to note is James Delos tells William in those fidelity tests if you cheat the devil you owe him an offering he says that to William offering him a drink of like scotch what it ends up being is if you want to live forever you owe him its sacrifice it's not an accident that James Delos tried to live forever and it seems like he was such a dick about it Logan his son ends up overdosing and dying in part because James Delos was a terrible father. And in that part seems because be he's sac- traumatized that they're like, uh, that they've brought about the end of the world, but in West Logan was the sacrifice. And then it's not an accident. William also seems to be trying to live forever. He seems to have had a change of heart afterward, but his daughter, he kills his daughter. So I would look at it as the sacrificing of their children is the sacrifice of this immortality. Like you're pursuing immortality, but it's a curse too. I think that's an important note to get like the two people that we know have pursued this. Their children have died kind of because of them. Well, I mean, William shot his daughter. So definitely because of him. So that seems to be the sacrifice. Is it possible? I'm asking you what you believe, but is it possible that that the man in black was a host the entire run of the show? And maybe that's partly responsible for his sort of monomaniacal obsession with everything that's going on in Westworld, both because he's a host and maybe doesn't know it, but also because he's sort of damaged and uh, he's not a full human. and, And that's what his obsession is. Yes, it's entirely in place. So every time we see him as Ed Harris, right? Every time we see him as Ed Harris, it's possible that he actually died, and you know, you could have a whole theory that like it's actually him in the bathtub, and they keep seeing. But I don't or think maybe, we need to go. Or, or maybe he died when he cut his own own arm open, which is maybe a, a reference to his wife. And when he was searching for his own humanity, he he accidentally killed himself. There are a lot of theories on the Man in Black, and I think we will get to a, a, like a lot of that in season three because it's going to be essential. I think the important note to hit going into season three is this idea that just because you put your, you can recreate someone's consciousness and put it on a hard drive and then re-upload it to a host body. Hey, it's, it's kind of like what, what, cause what's Delo selling? Hey, you can live forever. If it's too good to be true, it's probably not real. The idea that you can live forever. It's still not you like James Delos. They tried to recreate him 149 times, but none of those were James Delos. That was an algorithm that thought it was James Delos. And I think that where we're going with Man in Black, whether it's this season, eventually, I think the point is him realizing he doesn't have to be that guy. He's not actually William. He is someone else and he can be whoever he wants. Like he can decide to be a better person, but it's only once he realizes he's not chained to being that identity. I think what we're going to see with William this season and whether he's a human or not, like I think this is the interesting point. Can people change? Can hosts change? And 
if a person is put into a host body, are you capable of change? Because so far, the show's been very clear. People can't change, but hosts can. So whether William can change his core drives will speak a lot about what the show is kind of saying about humanity and whether people are capable of change. All right. Let's pull that sound. Bobby, let's pull this, the clip of Danny saying the show has been very clear and just play that over and over again. The show's been very clear. The show's been very clear. The show's been very clear. And now I finally understand what you were trying to tell me. All right. We're going to move on from questions about the show into the biggest, most shocking reveal, a biggest or most shocking reveal of season two. Uh, I mean, obviously, there's the big one at the end, the Dolores, that Charlotte was Dolores all along, Charloris, whatever. Uh, there's Man in Black sort of, or I guess the Man in Black reveal there at the end that we just talked about is a sort of big reveal, whether or not that applies to the whole show that we've seen yeah, so him, far. Look, him killing his daughter and then maybe being a host and digging his knife into his arm and being like, am I real? Is is nuts. As is the Charlores thing was mind-blowing and kind of had to watch it three times to get what was going on. There's also, the, I mean, there are a bunch of big reveals. There was the, the return of Ford at the time was just crazy, crazy, crazy. And I mean, it just felt like anything was in play if you can just kind of exist like he said at the end of season one is sort of you, you become the music and you're always uh there in the sort of meta west world that, that was out there it didn't end up being that big of a deal um for the season he doesn't seem to be a big player or a player at all in season three but who knows but, but the that, quotes but the quote he just was there solely to drop unbelievable quotes yeah and we'll get into that in just a second um the oh shogun world we didn't even talk about that shogun world is this whole other world in the park the the existence of it was like fanfic galore. Everybody was so excited to see it. And it really did pay off. We didn't spend a ton of time there, all things considered. But I think the biggest reveal there was that it, one, it existed. Two, it was it was a complete world, except even bloodier. And three, that they maybe most importantly, that it was sort of this like just a mirror image of Westworld. Like there were a lot of characters with the exact same uh you know, storylines and personalities and stuff. Yeah, that that was that was like the first truly mind blowing moment was that the Shogun world, like there was a Maeve in Shogun world. There's a Hector. They have like the same relationship, just instead of a cowboy, he's a Ronin, which is an ostracized samurai. That was unbelievable. And when they start doing the same robbery, uh, that was pretty sick. I think intellectually that sort of breaks down a little bit for me because we're talking about like video games that exist now. I mean, if there was like a Red Dead Redemption is your big game and then they put out like like. Red Dead Shogun Redemption and everything's exactly the same except the skins, I think you'd be pretty disappointed as a player, right? Yeah! Doesn't totally host, uh, totally hold up, but uh, eh. at the same time, I kind of like the idea that somehow actually it makes it more real to me, because the idea that um, actually, screw it, we just, we just yeah, was, they don't have enough, too hard. I guess you're right. He just took what we were doing. All, thing, kind of, all things considered, I mean, especially considering the scope of Westworld and Shogun World and Raj World and everything, the staff of of you know in the Mesa seems relatively small. Like the West Sizemore staff, says when they ask him about it, Sizemore says, "You try writing 300 stories in three weeks." I am a sucker for any time a show explains something with incompetence instead of malice. Yeah. Evil implies a sense of control. Uh, organizational breakdowns and incompetence are usually excellent explanations for certain things. Uh, so there's also Raj World. That was not the biggest reveal of the season, but was a pretty cool little, you know, escapade there for a minute. Um, and that was our first, I think that was our, that was our first indication that there was like completely separate, completely whole worlds. And that was, that was pretty fun. But most that just basically served to introduce Emily, I guess, and the concept of, of these other parks out there. Um, and then the other one, I mean, I don't know if this is a huge reveal, but like the idea that Maeve was listening through her daughter to a catch to whole story lets us know that Maeve is, I mean, 
let's just, I guess that's the moment that we realize that Maeve is fully plugged into the Matrix or whatever. That, that wasn't a grand plot twist in this grand scheme of the story. That was just an unreal twist to that episode of Kiksuya because the Kiksuya is a Kichita. Again, Kichita is the Native American Ghost Nation guy who has been haunting Maeve's dreams since I believe either the pilot or the second episode. She's been having flashbacks of him coming to her house and killing her daughter and killing her. And then eventually she realizes she's getting these memories confused with the band in black and all this stuff. But she's been afraid of this guy for literally every moment of the show as much as long as we've known her. And then Kiksuya, the eighth episode of season two, is him explaining to Maeve's daughter his life. Mm-hmm. And, expl- and there's this really sad, beautiful, heartbreaking quote of he explains that it was about love and he was looking for his his wife and he was trying to spread the message of another world and but he says it's so easy to misunderstand intentions in this world and it's like really moving but then at the end of the episode it reveals Maeve was plugged into the mesh network and again I, it, whether it's technical it's not forget the technical there's a spiritual aspect of where technology becomes magic Maeve spiritually was listening to the story through her daughter's right. eyes and Akichita knew that the whole time so the whole episode was Akichita explaining himself to Maeve directly. And then it ends with her telling him, hey, take my heart with you. And he's like, if you die, have a good death. But if you live, meet us. And that is like the most, it was honestly, it's beautiful. Just before, I don't know if we even touched on this earlier. How does, where, what is the full extent of Maeve's power? She's like, she, she's, she's in the, the matrix as i just said she can kind of like rewrite host scripts from afar she can tell host uh, to kill themselves uh she can make them fr- like freeze and stab I mean, she is she just all powerful the technical explanation is that she has bluetooth connection to every host within <laughs> like you know 50 feet of her and she can tell them what to do and she can pair with multiple hosts at the same time it's like bluetooth uh in practice she's a witch and i would just think of her like that like a combo of like jedi mind tricks and like gandalf all right um uh, do you have a do you have a, a vote for the for the most shocking reveal of the season? I think uh, I think so I mean, many of these are, are on par. I don't even know how to. There are some really cool ones, but Dolores was in Charlotte's body the whole time is one hundred percent to me the winner. That is just something nobody saw yeah, coming. It's really great. I think mind. the positioning of the of the man in black reveal at the end uh, made it seem like the you know that's what sticks with you a lot. But you're right, Charlotte is probably the winner. All right, let's move on to our next award for best quote or monologue. A lot of monologues of the season. Do you know now who you've been talking to? Jump right in. What's your what, what what's your winner? Uh, man, there are so many good ones, but the one that I think about just the one that the coolest one is when William is like, "Death is always true," which is funny because it's kind of wrong in retrospect. But he gives this speech to one of the Confederados who's talking about how he knows death, and he's like, "You think you know death? You don't." been sitting across from him the whole time that's the winner that's fantastic yeah i think that's the winner for me too i mean there's there there are a lot of other good ones you just mentioned the 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 stuff from kiksuya take my heart with you when you go um you know there's there there are a lot of there i mean there's just everything that ford said in that in his conversation with bernard i mean was everything everything ford everything ford says in this is unbelievable uh but the one that i that was i mean it's just such a mic drop because we don't know when or if Anthony Hopkins is returning to the show, is the last thing Ford says to him, which isn't even Ford. Basically, at the end of it, when Bernard puts this whole plan together of how he's going to save the hosts and kill the humans, 
it's the, a conscious decision he's making, but he doesn't know it at the time. He thinks he's following Ford's direction, but it turns out he was imagining Ford and he was listening to his own voice. Just like the end of season one, Dolores was imagining Arnold and listening to Arnold's voice, but it was her voice and it was her decisions. Bernard did the same thing. So yeah. the last conversation he has with Ford is in his mind and Ford tells him, they're look, it's standing on the beach looking out at the ocean and Ford says, I've always loved this view. Every city, every monument, man's greatest achievements, they've all been chased by yeah. it. That impossible line where the waves conspire and where they return, the place maybe you and I will meet again. And if you want to hear us talk about this stuff at somewhat of a, a, a longer uh, a length, although probably not that much considering how long it's been going, you can go check out all of our recaps from season two where we uh, dissect these uh, great lines in some detail. Um, moving on, award number three for this episode, the, the This Maze Was Not Meant For You Award for the Dumbest Human in Season 2, Danny Heifetz, who's your winner? Oh, man, this is a passion project for me. I have to give it to the Dello security team attacking Fort Forlone Hope, who <laughs> approaches it head on in the middle of a field surrounded by forests. They, instead of approaching from the woods, they just come full up like a football field away, riding in ATVs with no windshields. Yeah, like and, hanging, off um, the si- hanging off the side of the ATV, shooting like sides. an Uzi. And if you've played Call of Duty, you don't have to forget actual military experience, which it seems most of these guys have. Forget being a police officer. Forget it. If you've played Call of Duty, you probably, or just intuitively are a person, you probably understand that approaching head-on on a field directly against the fort is not the best idea. Maybe, like, approach it from the side or something. Also, bring a windshield. It just seems really odd. And they but, all die. And it's so, like they kind of deserved it. And listen, I, I know that we're, we can't get too much into the weeds of discussing the technology of this show. And obviously, like, I mean, you you look at that and you think maybe it makes a little bit more sense just to like drop a bomb. Although I guess the, the point is they were I looking they for Abernathy. Drones. Yeah, they have drones or something. But like, like, is there not? I understand that like this ho- the host technology is way beyond anything we can conceptualize. But it does seem like there must be some sort of like electronic pulse grenade that you could have thrown that would have affected the uh, the hosts and not the humans or something? Like, you think that they would have thought about what if we can't control the host with guns, but it seems to not have occurred to anyone. The other one that I just can't get over is Sizemore dying. Sizemore gets shot because oh. he's like, I'll hold them off. No, no, Sizemore- no. No, no, I, I fully disagree with this. That's, that scene was beautiful. It was it showed Sizemore finally coming to realize that the hosts were, were worthy beings that were his new friends. And yes. He- it was a nice emotional moment for him. Also, selfish. You know why? He wanted to hear himself. He gives a speech that Hector always gives, but he gives himself. He's like, my speech. And it's nice like because he tells Hector to take Maeve and like he's going to stay. But it's stupid because the goal, what is actually needed to be done? Keep the Delos team from getting to them. Okay, yeah. And they're begging him, don't shoot, don't shoot, sir, put your gun down. He could have delayed them far longer if, if he, he was with alive. them yeah, it's and true. negotiating. Instead, he just stands out and gets riddled with bullets for no reason, so he dies, and he wants to go out in a blaze of glory. He, it's so dumb. No, no, but he, I, okay, I fully agree with that part. He could have actually, by staying alive, he could have delayed them more. He just went down, it like, he he delayed them for about five seconds as they shot him. He, but, yeah, he delayed them for, like, yeah, he got 20 seconds out of it. But let's not gloss over the deeper significance of him giving that speech that was a speech he could never get Hector to deliver, and that's be- and and he created the entire Hector storyline out of a place of heartbreak. Like this was him fulfilling in in real life the like the the emotional peak that he could only write up to that point. Like so, this was yes. a great moment for him. But you're right, he did get he he was there to 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 delay them, and his delay lasted about five seconds. 
There's a uh, very meta thing of how he's the writer and he's wanted to deliver the speech the whole time. And there are the writers of the show who've probably wanted to give Sizemore speech the whole time. Right. And that they both forgot that, oh, yeah, it needs to make sense. And I'm supposed to be listening to the speech. And all I can think of is, shouldn't you just not be standing here getting a shot? Shouldn't you just be talking to them and like <laughs> delaying them for like 20 minutes instead of giving your friends like 20 seconds? Isn't that like the actual selfless thing to do? Because he just wants to hear himself talk. Yeah, that's that's true. Uh, there was also the guy who, at the very beginning, who is uh, standing with a noose around his neck. Dolores is is there hanging <laughs> on the people, and he says, "What are you going to do to us?" Um, <laughs> it's like, dude, you have a noose around your neck, man. What do you think she's going to do to you? You may be the winner. All of the humans in that opening <laughs> escape sequence, the ones that were with uh, Bernard and 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 Charlotte, they were just like like you know, just like clearly walking into traps one time after the next. That one guy who looked like the cowardly lion. I mean, there were there there were all those are all a bunch of idiots. Dude, and, I you know what? I might give it to the guy with the noose around his neck, yeah. like standing on being like, "What are you going to do to us, dude?" Context clues. Yeah. Well, okay. I think we can all agree we're all losers here. We have to get out of here. This podcast has covered so much ground. I can't even wrap my mind around it. So let's just briefly talk about season three. Season that we've seen the trailers for season three. The season it's starting in just a couple of days. Um, what, what are our predictions? What are we waiting for? What are the big, the big, the big, the big things from season three that we're going to be talking about, you think on Sunday night? Um, I think first it's just Cowboys head into the big city. Like, I know this isn't like a pure Western, but I do think that that is a huge thing. Like it's just fish out of water. And I, I, I think that that it's the main thing I'm looking for. I think the poster is very not subtle. It's a robot with the skyscraper piercing it like through the heart, uh, and killing it. And I think, you know, there is some tropes of people move into the big city that you can steal from vast amounts of media. And just like that is, I, th- I think a major theme we're going to see. Uh, they're not the first people that get crushed when they move to a big city. And I don't think they will be the last. And I hope that they make it funny. That's my main, my main real hope for this season is I need it to be funny. Yes. Because for two reasons for, I, I'm a, I'm serious about this. I will be really disappointed if I don't laugh at least like actually laugh out loud three times at this episode because it one functionally just needs to be funny. I think a lot of people like it for a show that takes itself so seriously, you need to be able to laugh at yourself. Like Game of Thrones deals with a similar range of violence, very deep violence and very many types of violence. Very heavy show. Also really funny at times, which is crucial. Right. Just as a viewer. But also there's a practical purpose because if we're supposed to believe these hosts are real things and really dealing with suffering and what makes them conscious is dealing with suffering, laughter is a key part of that. Like just psychologically, your brain doesn't just cry all the time when you're sad. A lot of laughter and and comedy is about ringing things that are true that are deeper and sadder on a different level. And humor is psychologically a process of relieving suffering and trauma. And I don't think the hosts are fully relatable until they they find things funny too. And I think the show is just, go. I really need it to be funny. So I, I, I totally agree with you here. And this is, what I think, what's really at stake with the entire show for the past two seasons and what we're looking at going into season three is that it's hard to really engage with some of the intellectual depths of the show. And it's hard to, it's hard to take the show seriously, I'll say, when it seems like the show takes itself too seriously, right? Exactly. And, and the way that you can get away from taking yourself, the way that a human, the way that a show, the way that anything can can prove that it doesn't take itself too seriously is, and get this, is being self-aware, right? I mean, you have to have exactly. you have to have the self-awareness to be able to laugh at yourself on occasion. And really, that's the quest that all these hosts are on. That's a quest that we as humans are on. But it's the self-awareness that allows us to really see ourselves for who we are and to really actualize. And hopefully, hopefully, if we're lucky, I love this show to death. 
But I think what we, I mean, I hope season three is, I love it even more than I love season one or two. But, and, and I think that, that you're, what you were just getting at is exactly right. Uh, I hope the show can become uh, fully conscious and fully human uh, along the, along the, as it gets into the outside world in season three, uh, because that might have, that, that probably was, if there was anything missing from seasons one and two, that might have been it. Yeah, there's a self-awareness to characters making themselves laugh because when a character makes a joke about their own situation, you're like, oh, they get it. They're relatable. They're paying attention. And the show and the characters have the same plot, the same plight, where it's if they want people to be relatable to the characters or to the show, both have to take themselves a little less seriously. So, Well, uh, after these two long preview podcasts, uh, I hope people don't think we're taking ourselves too seriously. We will be back on Sunday night, immediately after the East Coast airing of Westworld, season three, episode one. Uh, I cannot wait to watch it. I promise you I haven't watched it yet. wrong about all of this? Oh, yeah. I'm, I hope that, listen, I hope that just like uh, one of those first-generation hosts that, that, that Ford repurposed into his family in the cabin, I hope that we are completely outmoded by the time that the next episode of this show airs. Um, but... We will evolve. We will change. We will uh, learn and grow and hopefully self-actualize at some point. And like I said, we'll be back on Sunday night. I hope everybody listening to this uh, is there with us. Thank you, Danny Heifetz. Thank you, Bobby, for recording this. Um, thank you, Westworld. Is that the good at that impossible line? <laughs> uh, we'll see you guys back here on Sunday. Welcome to Westworld. Damn it, I got it wrong again. <laughs> I gotta really change this in my script. <laughs>